Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back after being away for a week. Uh, we had a wonderful time away, and uh, as you may see by my nice complexion, I got some sun. So it was a, a good time. Uh, but last week, Larry Humbird uh, graced us and, and came and spoke, and I really appreciate him filling in for that. And he introduced us to our new sermon series, I Have Sinned. Uh, and so this summer, we're going to be looking at numerous individuals that we see in Scripture that have cried out to God their state of sinfulness. And, and we all know that uh, confession can be a hard thing, right? We, we talked about forgiveness recently, and confession can be just as hard for us as believers. And it can be one thing for us to say, but it can be, again, a completely different story for us to actually truly mean that uh, from the heart. And so we're going to discuss what that is. And again, confession is the acknowledgement before God uh, that you have done something wrong and you have violated his commands. That, that's what confession is. Uh, and true confession should ultimately be followed by an act of repentance. Repentance, again, is that idea that there's a change of heart and a change of mind, that we're going in one direction and there's a complete 180 and we're going going into uh, the next direction with that. Uh, and the Lord calls us to be holy, right? We, we saw that when we talked about Leviticus, right? Be holy because I am holy. Uh, and so he wants us to follow what he's called us to do, to be obedient to that. Um, but if we continue to remain in our sins, it begs that question then about confession, that if I continue to remain the same person that I am, was that confession simply an act of lip service uh, and not actually from a true heart? Does it have any very, very value or merit behind what we've done? So this summer, again, we're going to work through a lot of individuals. All of them are sinners. Uh, all of them, again, have made a confession to God. And we're going to see this interaction that, that exists between them of what brought them to the throne, what caused them to kneel before God and say, I've sinned, uh, and what was the response that they had, and ultimately, what is the response that God has when we bring an act of confession and a desire for repentance. Uh, and so we're going to start today on a positive note. Uh, we're going to talk about David uh, and the freed sinner. We're going to take a look at his life where you have an individual that truly desired the forgiveness of God. Someone that truly desired to see a change in their actual life. So we're going we're gonna to be kind of a, in all sorts of different places throughout the scriptures today. But just to give a little background on David... Acts 32 tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. Okay, David was a man after God's own heart. And one of the pieces of that that's always so interesting is how is it that David is a man after God's own heart when one of the most well-known stories of the Bible is David's adulterous affair with Bathsheba? How is it that he could be a man after God, but yet engage in such an act? So David in 2 Samuel 11 is king of Israel. The armies have gone off to war, but he stays back in Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, he sees a beautiful woman on a rooftop, and that's Bathsheba. And he basically desires her. And so he brings Bathsheba over 
to himself. And Bathsheba at this point is married to Uriah the Hittite. He is off fighting in war. And so David and Bathsheba engage in this adulterous affair. And then she gets pregnant. And so now David is stuck in this dilemma. What am I going to do? I now have this pregnant woman who is married to someone else, who is all fighting to defend Israel, and I am supposed to be the king leading everyone into this. And so what does he do? He attempts to cover up his sin. He calls Uriah back and he says, Uriah, come home. Tell me how it's going. And Uriah gives him some information. He says, great, go home and be with your wife. And David makes several attempts to try to get Uriah to sleep with his wife in the hopes that his sins would be covered up. And unfortunately for David's sins, at this point, he's pretty frustrated that Uriah refuses to do that. And so he makes the decision to say, you know what, Uriah, I want you to go back to the front lines. And he sends a message to his officers. I want you to put David out or uh, Uriah out there. And I want you to pull back, essentially letting Uriah be killed. And so this is what happens. He sends Uriah back. He goes out. He's murdered. And for David, he's thinking, great, I'm off the hook. I've taken care of the problem. Now I can take Bathsheba. Nobody's going to know about what I have done. And then along comes Nathan the prophet. And, and further in 2 Samuel 12, he tells this David the story. He says there was this rich man and he had a lamb uh, or this poor man and he had a lamb and he loved this lamb and that's all he had. And this rich guy came and basically took it from him. And David is irate. And he's like, this man deserves to be punished. How dare he? I demand justice for this. And Nathan says, you are that man. So in 2 Samuel 12, 7, let me read this. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the, the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says out of your own household. I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and he will give them to one who is close to you and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this in broad daylight before all of Israel. So Nathan points out to David, that was you. You sinned. We know what you did. You have committed wrong with this adulterous affair. And on top of that, you have now committed murder in the process, David. And there is going to be consequences. And so David responds in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. There's no arguing. 
There's no trying to hide it. There's no disguising it. There's no excusing it. David just comes clean and he says, you're right. I have sinned. And he just flat out confesses here of what has happened. Now, David is the author of the majority of the Psalms. If you don't know, the Psalms are kind of the raw emotion of the heart uh, as God's people are, are dealing with the issues of the day. And there are struggles of, of desires for vengeance and there are pleas for God's protection and deliverance while all at the same time reflecting upon the great sovereignty and goodness of God. And so God's people in the Psalms, it's just this, this heartfelt pouring out of God. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I want you to do, but I also know who you are. And so David writes a lot of these Psalms. And Psalm 51 specifically addresses this adulterous affair that exists. So what we just read, David is then going to write a psalm about what has happened to him uh, in this process. Now, we're also going to take a look and we're actually going to start in Psalm 32. So if you want to flip your Bibles over to Psalm 32, you can get yourself situated. Now, Psalm 32 does not directly tie to what has happened here. Okay, but... Psalm 32 does connect in concept with what David is going through in Psalm 51 and this whole issue of confession and repentance and forgiveness. So let's go over to Psalm 32 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 32, 1 to 5. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess the transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So isn't it interesting that David starts the psalm with blessed. Blessed. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. Because usually, again, when we think about confession... There's an apprehension. There's a, a timidity to it. There's a fear. I have to say something to someone about what I have done that's not right. I, I have to say out loud that, that I'm a sinner and admit my wrong. Right? That's not an easy thing for us to do. But David starts with blessed. I am blessed for exposing my sinfulness. And we, we see these words here, transgression, sin, and iniquity, and they're all very similar. But, but as you look at them there, you can see there's a little bit of a difference. And I think David does this because he's trying to capture all of the angles of what he's feeling about what he has done to God. And so transgression is the idea that I have defied authority, that I have crossed the line, that I've gone too far in what someone said I could do. Sin is the idea to, to fall short and miss the mark. And Larry spoke about that last week. And Libby did a wonderful job of proving her sinfulness to you guys. Right. Uh, and, and he said it's like shooting an arrow and missing the target. And iniquity is the idea that it implies a, a crookedness 
and a distortion that that we are essentially perverting or warping something that's been to be straight and perfect. And so David says, God, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. Now, it's not I've sinned against Bathsheba. It's not that I've sinned against Uriah. No, God, I have sinned against you. And again, we we look at that and think that seems unusual. I mean, really, shouldn't he be apologizing to Uriah and Bathsheba? I mean, I know Uriah is dead, but maybe he goes to the grave and he, he talks to his grave. But no, David says, God, it's you that I have sinned against. Because it's God who has established the world. It's God who has established all of the rules. And it is God who has established morality and right and wrong. It wasn't Bathsheba that said this is what's right or wrong. It wasn't Uriah. It it wasn't even Nathan the prophet. It was God who has come out and said, this is what is right and appropriate. And if you break that, you're a sinner. And so David says, God, I have transgressed you. God, I have crossed your line. I have defied your authority. God, I have sinned against you. You have laid out what I'm supposed to do. And God, I've completely missed that mark. God, I I have made iniquity against you. I have taken your your statutes and your rules and I've twisted them and I perverted them. You you put me on a straight path and I went all crooked and and I made it all wrong, God. But he says there's blessing. There's blessing in us coming before God and saying that. So why is that? Well, he talks about the feeling of of the weight and how he's wasting away and how he's groaning. Because see, as, as David tries to hide his sin, this is how he's feeling. You know, it's like a plant, right? When a plant doesn't get enough sunlight or it doesn't get water, it, it starts to shrivel up and it, and it dies. I mean, it's just like our own human bodies. If I don't get the proper nutrients, my body starts to deteriorate. It starts to shut down. It starts to wither away. And David says, this, this is how I'm feeling because of this sin. He says, my, my body is groaning over this. And that word groaning is the sense that it's screaming like a lion that is roaring. God, I am struggling over what I have done. And me trying to hide it is not helping at all. And he says, day and night, your hand is heavy upon me. Charles Spurgeon wrote this quote when we spoke about this. He said, God's hand is very helpful when it uplifts. But it is awful when it presses down. Better a world on the shoulder like Atlas than God's hand on the heart like David. And if you don't know, Atlas was one of the Greek gods, one of the Titans who in mythology and Greek mythology rose up against Zeus and the gods of Olympus and they tried to overthrow them and they lost. And so Zeus took Atlas and he said, your punishment is you will hold the world on your shoulders. And Spurgeon's making this analogy and he says, man, When God lifts you up, there is nothing greater in this world. 
But when that hand of God is pushing down against you, I would rather put the world on my shoulders and have to carry that weight than feel the pressure of God against me. And so David is feeling the full weight because what has he tried to do? He has tried to hide his sin. And then he goes on and gives another quick analogy that it's, it's like the heat of summer and it is just sapping all of my strength. God, I am dying here. And the more I hold it in, the worse it's getting. And so he confesses. He says, I'm just going to put this out to God. I've been found out. I'm going to throw it out there and I'm just going to tell God, God, this is what I have done. I have sinned. Now, let's flip over to Psalm 50, 51. I'm going to come back to 32 here, uh, but flip over to Psalm 51. So as I said, Psalm 51 is the actual psalm that David writes in connection to what has happened here with his adulterous affair and being found out. And I look at Psalm 32 as kind of that initial, here's where I'm struggling, here's the intellectual, here's what's happening. And Psalm 51 now really gets into the heart of this. David is going to lay himself all out before God about what is going on. And so we're really going to get a true heart of confession here. So verses one and two. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your failing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he says, God, this is what I want. God, I want to be clean. Have mercy on me. Take away the sins. And God, I'm doing so on the basis of your character. God, I'm appealing upon your mercy. You say that you are a God of mercy. Then show it to me because I desperately need that. Verse three. For I now know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and, and only you have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight so that you have proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So again, he, he's talking about this idea that, God, you are, you are right. I, I, you've proved me wrong. You've proved that I am a sinner. You, I, I've been a sinner since birth, God. That is clearly understandable to me. And you've already told us that. He says, I, I've done wrong. I don't want to skirt this issue, God. I want to make this right. I desire to do right. I want to make changes. God, deep down inside of me, at the very core of my soul, I want to follow you. And God, I'm asking for you to help me. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and, and block out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Cleanse me with hyssop. Hyssop was a a plant that we often see used throughout the scriptures. And the first place that we see hyssop being used in the Bible is in Exodus 12. That when God tells the Israelites that I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to I'm going to send the angel of death to pass over your house. And, And if you want to save that firstborn child. You are going to sacrifice a lamb. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take a hyssop plant and you're going to dip it in that blood and you're going to spread that all over the doorframe. And that angel of death is going to pass by your house. And so that term and that idea of hyssop is, is one of cleanliness. And he says, God, I want to be clean. I want a newness. I want to be restored. God, give me a pure heart. I'm I'm being crushed here, God. I want to be remade new in you. That's my heart, God. And God, when you when you go to blot out my iniquity, when you go to take care of my sin, I, I don't want you to even look at me. I know you can take this away, but God, I am so hideous and so disgusting that I want you to turn your face when you take, I can't have you look at me, God. God, I want to be back in your presence. God, I want your forgiveness. Then he continues in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from my blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me in my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice where I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, uncontrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. God, if you are willing, if you are willing to fix this, please do so. God, I desire your forgiveness. I want to be made right with you. And God, if you do this, if, if you make me whole again, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and teach the other sinners about who you are. And I'm going to bring them back to you the way that I want to be brought back to you, God. God, I want to make this change in my life. And if you restore me, God, God, if you bring me back, praise will utter from my lips but praise will go forth and it will just confess who you are and your greatness and your glory, God, if you are willing to do this for me. God of all compassion and forgiveness, love and tenderness, God, please wash over my sins. And all of this, this is what I love about Psalm 51. All of this, This open confession is all undergirded with this kind of heart. He says, a broken and contrite heart. He says, God, my soul 
has been smashed. It has been shattered. It has been completely torn apart and crushed. And I am broken over what I have done against you. And he says, look, I'm not coming to you, God, with, with any sort of sacrifice or offering. I know, I know we talked all about the need for those in the Old Testament and Leviticus and how they would bring the lambs. And he's like, look, I get that, God, but there's something bigger at play. And it's not about me coming with a lamb and shedding its blood. God, what you want right now is you want my heart and you want every single part of me. And that is the only thing that I can give you, God. You don't want ritual religion. What you want is a personal relationship. And David is saying, God, this is all I can give you at this moment. I'm giving you everything that I have. And so when God hears this, what does he do? God causes a massive earthquake to swallow up David. He sends a lightning bolt from heaven to incinerate David. No, that's not what God does. Psalm 32, 5. God forgave the guilt of my sin. God forgave. David says, I'm a wretched sinner and I stand before a holy God. And I am deserving of death and your wrath that you should pour out on me. But God says, I forgive you. I forgive the sins that you have done. And so David lays it out. He lays it for God to see everything. And God takes all of that weight and all of that burden. And he renews David. And he says, I will remember this no more, David. He said, David, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take away your sin and I'm going to impute my righteousness. I'm not going to hold that sin against you anymore, but I'm going to make you clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when David says that I am blessed, this is what he means that his transgressions are forgiven because now the weariness and a burdened soul has found freedom and has found new life. And so what has he found freedom from? What was the terrible weight and burden of that sin? It was pushing down on him as much as David tried to hide it. That sin just plagued him more and more and more and more. And isn't it that way with us? That when we sin, doesn't it just seem to gnaw at us? It just continues to plague us in our thoughts, in our minds, and we can't get away from it. It's like the Spirit's just constantly convicting us and saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And we, we struggle, we agonize over it, and we can't sleep at night. And it makes us sick and we get physically unhealthy because of, of this plague and it's just gnawing at us. And what do we do? We try to sweep it under the carpet some more. Maybe if I just don't think about it, it'll go away. 
Maybe if I pray to God that nobody ever knows, it'll go away. Maybe if I just keep my mouth quiet, it'll go away. And the more that we do that, the more and more it eats away at us. Because the only way we're going to be free is when we finally confess that to God. And again, it's not easy. It's uncomfortable. It's embarrassing. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to to, to do what's right. I shouldn't be sinning. I shouldn't be struggling with this. I'm supposed to be perfect. I, I can't confess my sin to somebody. I can't tell them how I've done wrong. I can't even tell that to God. I mean, sin really does a a shot to our egos and our pride, doesn't it? It really knocks us off our pedestals. But if we're able to admit that, guess what? We're just simply saying the thing that we've always been. We're just acknowledging that we're sinners, that none of us are perfect. We're all flawed, guys. You and I sin. And guess what? There's going to be days where I sin a whole lot more than you. There's going to be days you probably sin more than me. But you and I are sinners. We are not perfect people. And every one of you right now, I hope in your mind, is wrestling with something about how you have done wrong. And you probably think that you're the worst person in the world. You're not, because we're all the worst people in the world. But if we're finally able to admit that, if we're finally able to say what we all are, God's hand comes off and it starts to lift us up. And more importantly, what does confession do? It frees us from the condemnation and the wrath of God. We have to remember that, again, sin separates us from God. It separates us from his eternal kingdom. God is holy and I can't be in his presence as a sinful individual. And God sends his son to the cross to die, to give us forgiveness. But if you and I do not acknowledge that God is Lord and Savior of my life, then what happens? Well, Revelation 20, 14 tells us that our names won't be written in the book of life. And that we will be thrown into the lake of fire and eternal condemnation. And so I'm not going to sugarcoat this right now. I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm not here to say something just to make you feel good. But guys, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And our sins separate us from God. And if you do not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. And you will suffer an eternity of torment because you have rejected the one thing that could save you. Now, does God want that? No, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ. And do we want that? No, and that's why we love you. And that's why it is our responsibility to go into this world and to love on this world and to proclaim the glories of God and to share the gospel with them. But if you and I can confess from a broken and contrite spirit, if you and I can acknowledge our sins before a holy God and the need for him, he forgives and he takes the weight and he saves us from his wrath. 
Romans 8 tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. And in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How did that start? There is no condemnation for those in Christ. That if you are in Christ, if he is your heavenly father, if he is your Lord and savior, you are free from the wrath and the penalty of sin and death. None. No condemnation. And so because we have been set free, it doesn't mean that that we run amok and we go and do as ever we please. No, God is saying, now that you are free, continue to live for me. Live in my holiness. Live out of that obedience. Live in service to me, doing my will and glorifying me. That is how God wants us to live. A man after God's own heart. Because when we... When we confess, we find freedom and we are reconciled back to God and we are restored and we are renewed. And just as David prayed, give me back the joy of that salvation, that when we confess before God, we're forgiven and we are freed and we are back in his loving arms. And that is the joy that God wants for us. So if there are any barriers and walls of sin that is between you and God, you need to make that right. And if there are any barriers or walls that exist within the body of this church, that even as believers, if there is something that you need to make right with someone else, then you need to do it. And if you need help, if you need to talk it through, call the office, send me an email, get my phone number, Come talk to me, find an elder, grab the brother or sister sitting next to you and saying, I need some help here. and We got to talk this out because I don't want you to have to live with the hand of God against you and that weight and burden. And God doesn't want that either. So let's walk hand in hand, arm in arm together, confessing and repenting and finding the joy and forgiveness that exists in Christ. Because when we destroy those barriers and those walls, confession makes us free to stand in his presence and in the presence of others in a joyous and harmonious relationship. That's the power the spirit has when we come to confess. Let's pray. Father, again, my prayer this summer is for us to feel that hand, to feel that weight. Because God, you want us out from under it. You call us to be holy. So Lord, as stirrings are happening, I pray for a willingness to get alone with you, to say out loud what we have done, and to make that desire, just as David did, to turn and to point others back to you. Lord, break our hearts when we transgress and we sin and we engage in iniquity against you. Break us. But Lord, we do so knowing 
that, Lord, when you have broken us, you will rebuild us. You will cleanse us. And there is nothing greater than knowing that we have a God like you who's willing to ignore and wash away all that we have done. And you've taken that upon yourself. So thank you, God. And as, I, as we leave again, I pray, Lord, prick our hearts to confession. Amen.